Congress, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 332 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by Advanced Compliance Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things compliance-related. Today I have with me Mark Bone. Mark is a member at Miller & Chevalier, and we are going to take a deep dive into the Monday-released decision by the United States Supreme Court in Kokesh versus Securities and Exchange Commissions. It was a 9-0 decision authored by Justice Sotomayor, and it has lots of clear and important implications for the FCPA compliance practitioner. Most importantly, it held that profit disgorgements are a penalty remedy and not a compensatory remedy in a very uh, esoteric discussion and ruling by the court. But the key for the compliance practitioner is that this means that remedy is subject to the five-year statute of limitations. Uh, you cannot go back, or rather the Securities and Exchange Commission cannot go back more than five years to order profit disgorgement on any settlement. This case has lots of implications for the uh, FCPA compliance community. Mark and I go through the background facts of the case, the uh, rationale, uh, the holding and the rationale, and then we take a look at what it really means for the compliance practitioner, not only in the calculation of damages, but also in your calculation of whether or not to self-disclose. Very interesting podcast. It comes in at uh, just around 20 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I'm here with Mark Bone. Mark is uh, with Miller & Chevalier, and we're going to talk about the Kokesh versus Securities and Exchange Commission case. For those of you who do not know Mark, first of all, you should. But second of all, he is one of the top commentators around profit disgorgement in the FCPA world. And as this case really deals exactly with that question, I wanted to get Mark on uh, on the podcast and see if we can go through it. So, Mark, uh, there's a lot in this case. It's a short opinion, 9-0 decision uh, written by Justice Sotomayor. So do you want to set the stage for us and then go off? Sure. So Monday, uh, a long-awaited opinion in Kokesh versus the SEC came down. It was a unanimous holding, finding that the SEC's use of disgorgement operates as a penalty under federal law and is therefore not freed from the, the five-year statute of limitations that's uh, established by 28 U.S.C. 2462, which is the U.S. Code's general statute of limitations governing civil enforcement. Uh, would you like me to talk a little bit about the background of Kokesh or jump into the opinion? Why don't we just jump into the opinion because I really want to get into uh, how the court came to the definition of penalty versus uh, compensatory and then uh, really what constitutes a penalty thereafter. Sure. Um, so let me just spend 30 seconds, 20 seconds setting up the, the Supreme Court opinion. Kokesh was an investment advisor. Uh, he was charged with over the course of 13 14 years using investment advisor firms he had to misappropriate $35 million in, in publicly offered funds from several investment companies. So this opened him up to the jurisdiction of the SEC, in their view. And uh, following his conviction, he was ordered to, to he was penalized as well as ordered to disgorge $34.9 million, uh, dating all the way back to 1996. He claimed that this should be covered by the five-year statute of limitations, which would drastically curtail the amount of disgorgement imposed. Uh, he appealed this up to the district court, which uh, upheld the decision. He appealed it up to the Tenth Circuit, citing a, another circuit decision holding that uh, disgorgement was was uh, 
um, considered forfeiture and covered by the statute of limitations provision, and the Tenth Circuit rejected his appeal. So we ended up at the Supreme Court. Uh, Supreme Court accepted certiorari in, in January. Um, on Monday, uh, the Supreme Court, as I noted, held that uh, disgorgement is a penalty subject to the five-year statute of limitations. And in determining this, uh, that, that, that SEC disgorgement qualified as a penalty, uh, Justice Sotomayor, who drafted the opinion for a unanimous court, cited two governing principles. Uh, she said that whether the sanction is redressing a public wrong or a private wrong to an individual, and whether the sanction's purpose is to punish the wrongdoer and deter, us other, deter others from engaging in similar misconduct or to compensate victims. So she kind of set up these two governing principles, and, and, and they're the rubric by which you analyze or determine whether uh, uh, a consequence or an obligation imposed by the court is a penalty. Uh, the court held that the application of these principles here readily demonstrates, not just in this case, but that SEC, score, SEC discouragement period qualifies as a penalty within the meeting of 2462. Uh, specifically, the court found that SEC disgorgement is, one, used to address the violation of public laws, meaning violations committed against the United States rather than an aggrieved individual. Uh, two, that it's imposed for punitive purposes because the sanctions are intended to deter violation of public laws and, and because those types of sanctions are inherently punitive, it, it, it constitutes a penalty. And three, that frequently uh, disgorgement is not compensatory. The district courts have the discretion to determine how to distribute disgorge profits, but frequently they're given it back to the treasury. Uh, once in a while they may give it to a victim uh, or do something else with it, but it's up to the court's discretion. And so setting out those three um, Viewing the 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 the, the, the disgorgement um, through these two principles, the court found that disgorgement bears "quote unquote" all the hallmarks of a penalty. It is imposed as a consequence for violating public law. It is intended to deter and not to compensate. So, based on that, uh, that's what kicked it into uh, the five-year uh, statute of limitations, if I understood the uh, decision correctly. Yes. So, uh, essentially, the court said that that, that uh, disgorgement is akin to a penalty, and and it's subject to the same statute of limitations. And so, uh, the immediate consequence of that is any case that is on the SEC's desk right now that has conduct that dates beyond that period. Uh, where there is no tolling agreement, where the party, the defendant, hasn't waived uh, the, the statute of limitations, it's, it's dead in the water. The, the SEC can no longer bring that case. So you, uh, I thought it was interesting, and you certainly highlighted that um, penalties uh, or remedies, rather, can be deterrence um, for a public wrong, a private wrong, uh, and that could be a mixed uh, bag for the remedy for the deterrence. But here it was pretty clearly because the, even if the money was paid under disgorgement, it was paid to the court, and the court would decide how the money was distributed, unlike a public um, uh, remedy where disgorgement might be returned to individuals who were wronged by uh, uh, the conduct which violated the uh, Securities and Exchange Act. Was, uh, was, uh, would you would, was that the way you read it as well? Yes. Um, and that's exactly how I read it. Uh, the court actually, interestingly enough, notes that 
it acknowledges that there may be instances where disgorgement serves compensatory goals, where there are securities violations and the disgorgement is provided to the aggrieved uh, uh, victims. But they said that the fact that sanctions serve more than one purpose doesn't make them not punitive and doesn't make them not penalties. They said that a civil sanction can't be fairly said to be solely remedial if it has any retributive or deterrent purpose. So if it has, if, even if it's serving a compensatory purpose, if it has a punitive purpose as well, then it's a penalty. Mark, one of the things that I found interesting was in the court's specific rebuttal of the SEC's position, um, they had characterized uh, or at least questioned the way the, uh, the SEC even calculated disgorgement because they said that sometimes uh, disgorgement is ordered without consideration of defendant's expenses that might reduce the amount of an illegal profit and that that somehow uh, moved it away from actually being a compensatory disgorgement. What were your thoughts on that last section of the court's opinion? I found it interesting. I mean, it was almost an aside. The, the SEC had made a big uh, to-do about the fact that, that disgorgement was not punitive because it, it, it operated to restore the status quo, to put the party back in the position that it otherwise would have been in had it not kind of retained those illicit profits. And the court said they weren't convinced and that uh, the court noted that SEC disgorgement and they cited examples could be used uh, or ordered without consideration of a defendant's expenses. And from personal experience, uh, our firm has, has, has frequently encountered that in, in negotiations with, with the government over disgorgement amounts and, and penalties, et cetera. Uh, the SEC comes up with a profit figure. And, and uh, if you were to argue, oh, well, we actually had a loss that year and um, you pull out your finance books, your accounting books, that's not the way they calculated profits. Um, and so the court noted that often or sometimes uh, the disgorgement exceeded profits gained as a result of the violation. As a result, this was punitive because it left the defendant worse off than he otherwise would have been. Right. And actually, I felt that part of the argument really tied into, if I could even flip it back to the equi equitable nature of the disgorgement remedy, although I recognize there's a statutory basis for it. The court did uh, draw on the history uh, of the equitable nature of the remedy and putting all parties back in the, the place where they began is one of the basic uh, requirements of an equitable remedy. So um, I thought that that part was very interesting. I pulled, Mark, the, uh, the uh, FCPA blog's top 10 disgorgement remedies, and it, it ran from Siemens of $350 million down to Technique of uh, $98 million. Uh, what none of those uh, uh, cases told us was the period of time uh, that the uh, uh, disgorgement covered, so whether it went back more than five years or not. But this case, I think, has uh, lots of significant direct implications for your practice, for the compliance community. And uh, I guess I wanted to, to see if we could maybe give our listeners um, a little insight into, uh, does this mean, for instance, if there is, uh, what's the starting point for the five-year statute? Is it when an allegation arises? It Was it when you self-disclose? Is it when the government comes knocking or you get a subpoena? And what happens if the investigation goes more than five years? Uh, it's when the conduct occurs. And so, um, and the investigation, if it goes more than five years and there's no tolling agreement in place, 
um, then then the, the the SEC can't prosecute this. Part of this goes back to a landmark decision uh, that that uh, occurred a few years ago, Gabelli versus the SEC, which found monetary penalties uh, to be subject to the five-year statute of limitations, and it addressed kind of this specific issue as to when that uh, statute of limitations began to toll. The, the SEC would argue is when it, it found out about the violation, and, and the Supreme Court rejected that argument. Um, and so uh, the current case, that case didn't address equitable remedy or equitable relief. This case does. And, and so companies that I think it's going to have the most immediate impact, the decision to companies that are currently under investigation. And what it does is it gives a lot more leverage to defendants who are under investigation. Um, particularly when one considers, as you note, that the lion's shares of monetary obligations imposed by the SEC in recent years have been via judgment, have been via disgorgement. And uh, it's clear that the SEC's ability to reach conduct outside the statute of limitations period has, has served as a tremendous cudgel for the commission over the years. And, and they've been able to use that as, 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 uh, as an incentive for companies to settle. Um, I would note, I mean, in recent years, as much as, as $3 billion was disgorged, not just in FCPA cases, but overall by the SEC, say, in 2015. And so here, limiting that to five years is going to be a direct benefit to, 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 to companies. It's going to reduce the, the, the overall liability that they may face in connection with these types of investigations. It's going to increase their leverage in their hand in negotiations, previously defendants negotiating positions on liability and financial sanctions, they've been undermined by the SEC's ability to threaten massive disgorgement and to cocus levels of playing field. Everyone is going to have to focus on conduct and sanctions that, that occurs within the statute of limitations period. So do you think uh, or could you see this putting more pressure on the commission to more quickly uh, conclude investigations and move forward to dispose of cases, or would this conversely uh, give companies more of an incentive to drag things out? Um, so I think, first of all, I think the court's decision puts immediate pressure on the SEC to resolve investigations more quickly as a, as a means of minimizing statute of limitations issues. The DOJ has faced this. Um, I, I don't want to, to overstate things because um, the the SEC generally solicits tolling agreements from cooperating defendants um, that, that waive the statute of limitations or toll them for a period of time or extend them. And the impact here as a result uh, might be more muted than one might otherwise expect. But having, um, having this statute of limitations period be there strengthens the defendant's hand. Because previously, if they sought to, to narrowly tailor the waiver the SEC would say, well, the tolling agreement doesn't apply to discouragement because discouragement has no statute of limitations. Now it does. And so if you push to narrow the, 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 the waiver, then, or if defendants are less willing to enter into such agreements, then, then it's going to have, have an effect. And I think you're going to see uh, defendants um, benefiting from that. Uh, it also could affect uh, voluntary disclosure considerations. The colleague in mine noted that, that it could have an impact on companies' appetite uh, uh, in that regard, that that if you have conduct that's four years old, four and a half years old, uh, you might be tempted to hold off a year <laughs> before 
disclosing or disclosing at all. And, and, and knowing that once that five year period hits that, that the government can no longer pursue these massive penalties for that conduct anymore. So we've been visiting today with Mark Bone on the Kokesh versus SEC case. Once again, Mark is, uh, I think one of the top uh, FCPA commentators around, specifically on profit disgorgement. He's written extensively on this. I'm going to link to some of his writings in the show notes. Um, This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help our rankings and help get the word out about the longest-running podcast in compliance. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again, and I hope you'll join me for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.